Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. And welcome to another episode of the incredible, entertaining, highly witty and charming IRC Book Club, episode 105 today, Mike, where we talk about the second part, happy days, of coaching winning sales teams. I was thinking about the title this morning whilst I was just making a few notes for the show. What were you going to say? Is it hard to coach this team that's already winning? I think the title should be coaching winning salespeople. Oh, you've got a big bean in your bonnet about sales not being a team sport, haven't you? Yeah, I put a post on LinkedIn about this. Matt Southern, if you're listening, I'm really sorry I offended you. Matt was unbelievably offended. He can take offence. Um, like a horse. Just a lot of people were very upset by my post, suggesting that sales isn't Southern. a team sport. Well, I tell you what's interesting, actually, Jonathan. It's a similar theme, actually, to what you've just said is, I've been thinking about this book and I've, and I've and I've not been that happy reading it really. Okay. Um, which is surprising given how well researched it is. You know, you can't knock the quality of research in this book at all. It's absolutely excellent. The rigor research. that's gone into it in terms yeah. of interviewing people, talking to people, it's clear a lot of hard work has gone into this book. Yeah, yeah. For me, what it isn't is written by a salesperson. And that think, stands out a mile. It's not, it's, ri- it's not written by a salesperson that lives in our universe. I don't think it's written by a salesperson. Full stop. If you compare how this is written to all the others, you know, fanatical prospecting. What's the guy called? He was a sales yeah, guy. You know, Antiano Reno. He's a sales guy. Yeah. Um, combo prospecting. Sales guy. They're written very differently to these books. This is like... Um, like a thesis that you would hand in at university about coaching winning sales teams. This isn't a, pick it up and follow that process, you'll be great. That's not what this book is. No. And it's why, uh, and, and you're struggling to remember the Keith Rosen book on sales leadership, but it's why I prefer the, say, the Keith Rosen book because the Keith Rosen book is I can remember a, it a bit, yeah. It's a, a manual. It's a manual with scripts and how-tos. Stru- yeah, yeah. structure you know if you followed that manual if you've never led a sales team before there are scripts as to how to engage in a coaching relationship with a salesperson yes there are scripts as to how to start a coaching session with a salesperson whereas this is much more about intellectually thinking about it sales people and sports people yeah there's much more reference from sports people than salespeople, actually. And the salespeople from where we have got reference, I'm not 100% buying it. I mean, you know, I, every week I use the same phrase, rising tide floats all boats. Um, but a lot of these people, you know, they, they're quoting sales leaders from Vodafone. If you actually well, went on LinkedIn, these are people that worked at Vodafone during the heyday of the mobile telecommunications revolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. And... It's not that hard to coach a sales team when every boat is 
floating in a rising tide. Yeah, what yeah. I'm listen, in, what I'm interested yeah, in is you've got that you've got that company at the moment that you deal with. They're a little ERP reseller that turns over about four million with a team hey, of about hey, seven. Hey, 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 Let's hey, hey. Their money all. spent their money spends better than that guy's seen off three recessions. Correct. He's seen through three recessions, and that's a profitable business. He will retire very nicely in the sunshine. The guy that owns that company, plenty of salesmen that have worked for him have earned a good living. That notwithstanding, it's a lot harder to coach that. That's real. Coach. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, let's actually talk about the book. Okay, so we, we, we've done, we're on chapters four, five, and six this week, aren't we? We are, yeah. So the first question I asked under chapter four, which is about being a, being a salesperson, being coach. Mm. Salespeople want to be coached, Mike. No. I, I, I think there's a very, I, I've said this before, you know, the, the components of the people are interesting. And one of the key components of a salesperson is ego. Yeah. Ego is a big driver for salespeople, I think. You know, the ego of owning stuff, you know, that doesn't actually do it for me, but the ego of achieving does it for me. Ego is a very important part of the salesperson, and it's very, you know, you really have to have it. However, ego presents several problems as well. And how easy is it to coach somebody with a big ego? Quite difficult. So I'll tell you what, let's go and find some people to coach who haven't got an ego because they'll be much easier to coach. I'll tell you what, if you haven't got an ego, they're not going to be particularly good at selling, I don't think. So I, Okay. I, now, that'll be an interesting one to talk to Tony Smith about, won't it? When he comes on the I show. Um, because Tony coached England, and he also coached Leeds Rhinos. I pointed out, as somebody who understands the fabric of Leeds Rhinos pretty well as a fan, um, he coached the Leeds Rhinos team that were very young and incredibly talented, but none of them were real superstars at the time. So I don't think that's that hard a coaching assignment, but he did coach an England team in a World Cup, if I recall correctly. Now that's a different story altogether because you're coaching superstar, you know, the elite performers. How did we do? Elite. We didn't win that World Cup. Right, fair enough. <laughs> that's for sure. We haven't won one for a long, long, long time. Um, but um, he has coached elite performers, and I think that's a very different game to, you know, they've mentioned this in the book, haven't they? It's a different coaching relationship that you have with a youthful group than a group that are mature. So if you're Pep Guardiola, it's a very different coaching game, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Coaching those sort of elite players who have enormous egos. Yep. But apparently part, and they've mentioned this in the book, part of that is actually the real leadership comes in being very careful with who you sign, knowing that there'll be a cultural fit and signing people who might be open to still admitting, even though they're superstars, to saying, well, I don't think I'm the finished article. I'd but, love to work the, for someone who can teach me something. But there's a huge difference, though, between salespeople and sportspeople. Yes. As far as sportspeople have been coaching through the kids. Correct. They've always been coached. They're used to being coached. They're happy being coached. They look for coaching. Whereas I think a lot of salespeople actually don't receive much coaching. They find it out on their own and they don't get much coaching. So imagine, you know, going to some guy who'd never been coached who was 46 and saying, right, I'm going to coach you now. Yeah, some guy, guy who, some 46-year-old guy who was never a particularly great athlete at school, never really got coached in anything by anybody in his life. Became a fat middle-aged salesman. And yeah. go, some bright-eyed, bushy-tailed manager goes, I'm going to coach you today. 
what's the sales guy going to say? He's going to say, whatever. Yes. He's actually going to say, whatever. The kiss, well, I mean, really. And then on page 80, he mentions actually, he says, uh, we're moving to, this is obviously written pre-COVID and the, you know that's changed a lot of things really. We are moving towards a lot of people becoming remote workers and less focused on classroom-based sales training. The next, blah, blah, blah. So imagine the scenario, right, Jonathan? Um, I fire you from Inward Revenue, you go to Oracle, right? <laughs> okay, so you go to Oracle. What, head of internal, team. head of sales talent acquisition? No, I'd place you, you know, head of sales. selling. I think you're probably a healthcare sales guy, having known you a while. I'd, right. I'd place you selling to healthcare. Oh, yeah. So you've got a team. <laughs> so you've got a team of six guys, all of whom sell to healthcare. You've got a 27-year-old guy or girl, whatever, 27-year-old guy, and you've got a 59-year-old guy. Yeah. And you send the memo around, hey, guys, we're going to do some training online. We're going to do a role play. We're going to do a role play today. How's that going to go for you? It's just not going to work, is it? The 59-year-old guy, he's got to go, right, I'm going to do a CV. The 27-year-old is probably going to go, right, I'm going to do a CV. Everyone in between is going to go, right, I'm going to do my CV, other than the guy that's miles behind Target who's going to kiss your ass and go, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, my ex- listen, let's, I can draw from my knowledge and my experience. From my experience, if you get a fresh grad or maybe a second jobber, they're bright-eyed and they're bushy-tailed and they do want to learn. And actually, they'll soak up anything you can give them. Um, to a point. What we've also learned is you give me a salesman of 26 and I'll show you the man, as they say. Mm. And my experience is by 26, most, the core inner kernel, I believe, of most salespeople is set. I agree. Well, how coachable are you? Now? Yeah. What well, as a salesperson, I think I'd be hard to coach. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm a bit coachable. As a golfer, you know, I'm going out on the course with the pro next week because I'm desperate and I'll and I'll soak it up. But I'm actually a baby golfer, really. Because but I'm he's baby- not gonna he's not gonna change his swing that much. No, he's not. He'll try and you'll be up for it. But actually, after eleven holes on the round after your coaching session, <laughs> you're going to look just the same as for your coaching session, won't it? Yeah, well, we're, we're going to rebuild the swing in the winter. But we're going to talk yeah, about... Yeah, and, and, and I know you're up for it. I'm not knocking that. So this but, question that we're raising is about how coachable you are. And you and golf and let's is a good get example. it right. But that's a fascinating... It's an interesting example, isn't it? Because in the winter, I'm not playing in competitions. So I'm going to rebuild my swing so I can put metaphorically put the car on blocks and rebuild it. Head and then come back in. It's the thing to do. Yeah. You should video your swing, you know, next time you play. It'll make a good series of, of social media posts about you should video your swing learning next time and you developing. Play. Yeah. And you should video your swing next in year. April of next year. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm going to go to the driving range at lunchtime and I'm going to take a video and I'm post it on social media. And the swing that you will see on social media, pretty much the swing I had when I was 15. Yeah. The timing isn't quite as good, I don't think, anymore. I of course it's not, because it just takes time to groove that in. Anyway, so, but the so again, point is, you can't take a salesman off the road and rebuild his game. The point is, I think more is the fact that he's raising it is how coachable are your teams? I think in sales, not very. 
No, I don't. I just, I don't. When does a salesman get to stop and rethink his approach to his game? When does a salesman get to think, right, okay, I'm going to a meeting today, uh, particularly in our industry. You know, I, I was speaking to a candidate the other day. Um, why is he looking for a job? Marketing aren't doing a good job. He, by his own admission, is not that great at getting new opportunities. So if he gets maybe two new sales opportunities a month, they're absolutely vital. The, the, so yeah, why yeah, would Your, your point is, is he going to try a new strategy on them? Oh, nope. I think I'll go in today and just try something out. I think I'll try spin selling. Never done it before. I'm going to try something out because I had a coach and called my boss the other day and he said, try this. I, he doesn't have that leeway. Exactly. Very few salespeople have that leeway to try new things. Oh, I'm going to, right, we've been working on this in practice. I'm going to go try it. They don't have the leeway and they don't have the time to learn it to an unconscious competent level in which to implement it. I agree with you. But when you go to page 84, there's this woman, Kathy Ward, something to do with SAP. I've never heard of them actually, SAP. I don't know what they do. Um, and she makes the point about top performers are always learning. Obviously, yes, the book they are. Set, obviously, the book takes five pages to say that. But she makes the point that top performers are always learning. And I think what's very interesting is in the candidates that I talk to, I've got a client at the minute, and, and it's not an ageist thing. I said to him, I said, you want a modern seller. And he said, why would I like this guy, Mike? And I said, because he's a modern seller. Now as it happens, he's quite old. Um, I think he's like late 50s, I would have thought. But what he has done, I'm going to get loads of grief about that answer saying late 50s, whatever, I don't care. But what he has done very well is when you talk to him about how he approaches prospects, he has a multi-contact point that takes into account all the different strands of social media. He's using video. Right. And he's still using the phone that, you know, as he was doing in the late 90s. And if you, I mean, he's got an absolutely excellent career, just superb. He's so what's super, your point? So my point is, is he has continually improved and taken on new selling techniques as he's they've grown. Along. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Kathy Ward's saying. And that's what this book's saying. Whereas actually, you know, you, you know yourself, you get a CV from somebody and it's in Times New Roman. And you think, God, you've learned no new tricks in the past 15 but years. that growth is self-directed growth. Oh, that's his self-directed growth. Nobody's coached him to do that. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. He, and, it, you know, they talk, don't they, earlier on in the book about how badly do you want it? Well, he wants it badly enough that he's asked himself, what do I need to do here to keep up with the times, to keep my sales career current, to stay ahead of the younger guys that are coming up behind yeah, me? Yeah, but he's competing with guys who are 30 years younger than him. And he's the first yeah. to say it. He's competing with guys who are 30 years younger with him who have got the energy to work longer. But I'll tell you what, he's sharper than them because he has kept refining his sales process. Correct. Now, actually, could you have coached him to do that is the point of the chapter. Don't know. But he has coached himself. And developed himself. And that's my view, is actually mm -hmm. the real coaching takes place. It's that's, it's, and they do talk about this, to give them credit in the book. It's about that self, it, yeah. the self-awareness. Well, that actually, this about is about the, the self-awareness of the coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they talk about mirroring being a great coaching strategy, which I do think so. What's interesting is you lead horses to that water, but seldom drink is my own experience. Yes, completely. You know, you get an elite performer in your team um, who's really elite and smashing it. And you say, look, just go and sit with him and copy him. We've tried it. People just sort of don't. They don't, yeah. They don't copy. Absolutely. 
for one reason or another. What you page know, are you on, by the way, in your book? I'm not marking the pages. I'm right, just okay. make, making notes on the book. Um, what about feedback, Mike? What do you think? I can't they remember. Talk that bit, they talk before. a bit about this in chapter four, in Being Coach. It's an interesting one, feedback, isn't it? Because if you take me as an example, um, one of the skills I have as a salesperson is not listening to anybody else. So you know the clients just can't rattle me at all. No. But that as a component part means I don't listen to any coaching either. You have a very strong uh, and I don't listen to any self-esteem. Feedback. Yeah, maybe. But I don't listen to any feedback either. So what do I think to feedback? I think if people take lots of feedback, that's in their persona. But I don't think salespeople take feedback particularly well, really. I think it's against the salesperson's code. Now, it's different, actually. There's a couple of things I'd like to do a survey on. Go on. I'd like to do a little... A, a survey that would interest me is I'd like to survey 100 sales leaders as to how many of them actually get in a car and go to an appointment with a candidate, with a salesperson in our industry. Yeah. Actually sit in an appointment and watch. Or I'd be interested to know how many of them actually, right, okay, where are you going tomorrow? Right, I've got an appointment in Manchester at Salford or Salford Hospital or whatever. Right, okay, I'll uh, I'll be there at night. What time's your appointment? 10 o'clock, right. Meet me in the Starbucks just off the such and such a road for a pre, pre-game chat. I'll be, I'm coming to the meeting with you. How many actually go? I don't think it's many. I mean, obviously, I don't know, but I don't think it's many, no. It would surprise me if it was many. In my first field job at Parcel Force, my boss used to come on the road with me. But I don't think it happens now. I don't think it happens in our sector. And part of that, I do think, is the mobility of labour of the salespeople, because salespeople won't stand for it. Oh, God, so impressive. He's coming to appointments with me. Yeah, where's my CV? <laughs> where's my CV? Oh, oh, yeah, 10 grand pay rise. Thanks very much. Bye. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, completely. I think also there's a point which says, if I'm paying a sales guy 100k, I don't have to go to an appointment with him. If I'm paying you 100k, I, 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 I think want, that's an want, extremely valid point. Mike. Yeah, if I'm paying you 100k, I want two million pound back. Full stop. If I'm paying you 100,000 pound. What do I need to coach you for? Yeah, you get paid 30 grand more than a GP. Yeah, more than a lawyer. Well, twice as much. Barrister gets 56. On your basic salary alone. Yeah. Why am I going to coach you? Oh, you need coaching. I don't you care. Put an arm around you. It's not how the world works, is it? And I yeah. don't think at that level it is how the world works. I think I there'll think be very, I think there'll be very rare instances where there are elite environments. Where people recognise I've got to pay elite money to get elite performers, and I've got to support those performers and get them even better than they were. There'll be few, but I don't think it's common. I think most companies that pay a hundred thousand pound basic salary go, listen, give me hundred k basic salary. Where's my two million quid? Yeah, and I think that's reality, really. I agree completely. Yeah. Because there's a nature of a, the nature of the relationship between the salesperson and the employer changes on a curve, doesn't it? If I'm paying you 45k and I'm a sagery seller, it's incumbent on me to find you leads, develop you, coach you, and bring something to the party that an employer on 60k can't bring. Because that's reckon, my value do you reckon proposition. Much, do you reckon there's much coaching done at a Daytel or a CPIO or one of these companies? I think they're much more supportive environments. 
much more. I mean, I than, don't know, obviously. I just mentioned much more supportive as, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time, They're much more supportive environments as opposed to an environment where somebody's paying £100,000 basic salary. You see, I don't actually agree because I think at the 100K level, I think good 100K guys are hard to find and I think those good 100K guys get their asses kissed. What, like, uh, groomed and preened? Big benefits, you know, all of that stuff. I, really, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know, obviously. We, know, we, we need to do some... We it's conjecture. Okay. Yeah, and then chapter five, they talk about structure process models. This has been my favourite chapter thus far, actually. Chapter five. Okay. Um, and, and predominantly because... There's a model um, on page 110. I've actually given a couple of pages. There's actually some models and practical frameworks here. Yeah, yeah, I put similar, actually. Um, they, they give some quote from some guy at Vodafone, people, customers, results. So I, I just want to debunk that a little bit. And what they're talking about is, yeah, it's all about having the right coaching culture. And I've already said I, I'm not that keen on this concept of Vodafone as an example. It goes back to how I felt about that book, The Salesperson's Secret Code, which they actually quote a bit in this book. Um, which I know. Was, which was based on some quite spurious research, I thought. Well, it was garbage, wasn't it? Times. Um, I'm going to give you an example. I'm working with a candidate right now, works for a big private equity-owned company. And the director's incentive scheme is based on the private equity firm's goals to reflip the business. And he said, when they do calls and sales calls, he was telling me, he said, they literally do not give a shit about the customer. They just don't care. And all they care about, and they talk about it openly on calls, is the director's remuneration. Right. And what needs to get done to get the director's remuneration. And that's recurring revenue growth um, and specific things which therefore then promote and create those behaviours. Now, that, I think, is the reality of a lot of people's sales jobs. Yeah. And I think it's easy to have a coaching culture when you're selling mobile phones to a market that can't get enough of it. But can you really have a coaching culture in a company selling software to retail in July 2020? No, I just want my results. I just need, listen, I just don't give the monkeys what you've got to do to get something over the line, but here's where we're at. There's a hundred of you queuing up outside the door for a job. So listen, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of the quarter, mate. That's okay. it and all about it, isn't it? I agree, yeah. Do you know what's also uh, in, in uh, Chapter 5? He draws a lot of comparisons, obviously, between sports and uh, sales, you know, as two comparisons. And I put a note on page 105, and... You know, he basically one of them, whoever's writing it, saying that um, coaching is much more is much better in sport. And 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 you know, as I read this book, it makes me think that sales has it right in terms of the lightness of their coaching and and lack thereof. Because I really do believe, having read this and a few other books and been a sales guru for twenty years, that it is incumbent on the salesperson to to find the training themselves. Look, Mike, it's not a complex equation. Every elite performer I've ever met is self-trained. It's up to them to pay for, you know, how many, and I'd say now it's not many, how many candidates ever turned around to you, Johnny, and went, yeah, I'm just, I'm sorry, I can't make that interview on Thursday, Friday, because there's a seminar on selling to CEOs. I, I, I've paid for it. I've got to go. 
How many? Not many. Well, I mean, I, I, not I, many. I can think of two in yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Two. Two, that's right. That's how many I can think of. And I actually what, think... The, the, the ones that actually go into their own bank account and buy yes. their own personal development. Yes. I put a post on, on LinkedIn about a while about this. I said, uh, and I, it, I got levered for it, as I often do, because LinkedIn is a censorious, vituperative platform. Um, and my post was basically saying, listen, uh, there's only one real question. If you really want to be good at interviewing candidates, here's a question to ask. Uh, what, tell me, uh, what you, how much money did you spend on personal self-development last year? And on what? And I said, it doesn't matter if they say I spent 500 pounds on learning how to grow hydroponic weed. Um, if they've done that, at least you know that they're interested in learning something. They're working on their brain. They're working on getting better at something. doesn't matter. I yeah. I, 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 that's yeah. I grow the best cannabis this side of Yorkshire at home in my garage, but I went on a course on it in Spain and I'm amazing now. Brilliant. Great guys interested in getting better at stuff. Mm, I agree. That's your interview question. And everybody, I got leathered for it. I said, anything less than £500 a year on personal self-development, end the interview right there. Just end it. Walk out. I agree. Well, so and, I, and, I, and I got pasted for it. So that's actually, I know I'm right. Uh, I agree. So that's my point. I think that... I think it's uh, incumbent on the salesperson. I think the other thing on page 105, he puts, whose responsibility is it to set the, the sale, to set a coaching culture? And he keeps referring back to Ideagen. He said, we have featured two of these in the book, Ideagen and SSE. I think SSE has something to do with utilities. They? I think so. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they're not an IT company. Now, it would be good if Ben Dawkes wants to come on the show. I've never spoke to him. He's got a great track record. Ideagen. He's welcome to come and defend himself. I'm not going to. I'm not going to knock him. I think the book misrepresents it because Idea, Idea Gen is an incredibly successful business, really successful company. I yeah. looked him up on LinkedIn. He's got a really good track record. Never spoke to him. You would have to assume he's a really good guy. I you placed Dave Hornsby, the chairman, in his first set, uh, IT sales job. Well, there you go. I placed him at PTC. So, 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 so but, but, but um, the book says Idea Gen's a great. Uh, coaching culture. I just don't think it is from the candidates that I've seen, not candidates, from the salespeople that I've seen on LinkedIn. I think Ideagen is a playbook culture. I I think Ideagen is let's hire young, clever people. Let's give them a playbook. Let's put a sausage machine, marketing machine, and let's stick the whole thing together. And I think that when you're giving people a playbook, almost a scripting set that they've got to follow, you are not coaching them. Ooh, hold on a minute. You see, it's interesting because we're going back to the sport analogy now. Mm. Now, I like Tony Smith always had very well structured teams. Right. His teams were always his teams have always got good structure, good playbooks, um, and they win games. Particularly if you then put talent into structure, you can do really well, providing you give that talent leeway to diversify from the structure and make decisions when they see it in front of them. So are you teaching people how to do things or are you telling them what to copy? Because there is a distinction between the two. <sighs> That's a really tough one, isn't it? Because actually you can elevate the quality of a lesser talented team with lots of structure or a lesser talented individual. And you and I know that 
because we've run a playbook culture. I mean, we've yep. run a culture with a 200-page hardbound manual. Read the manual, follow the process, you'll be all right. And we have seen people do it. So, so here's the thing, right? What the, was interesting the- was when we ran that operation, some people still couldn't follow the manual. Yeah, amazing. That was a fair Fascin- factor. That was fair factor to that. So, so here's a good example then, right? So, so if you gave me a Dilbert cartoon, yeah, I'm very sure I could copy it very accurately. Yeah. Or the cartoonist guy that we had on, whatever his name was, on that last one. Stu Heinick. Yeah. So am I a good cartoonist? No, I'm a copier. Because actually I couldn't create a cartoon on my own. Right. And I think that's the thing about playbooks is you make people good at copying rather than having free thoughts where they could do it themselves. And the so top businesses now... Somebody follow a playbook is not coaching. Okay. So it, that's team coaching though. And this is my point about teams versus salespeople. I've put coaching teams, question mark, or coaching winning salespeople. Because actually, if you're coaching a football team and you've got, you know, look at American football. I follow the NFL in the winter because it, it's got an oval-shaped ball in it. So mm. it acts as a substitute for rugby league. And that is all about players following the playbook. But what you do need are elite-level athletes to follow that playbook. Yeah, I mean, I could To make the plays. So you need an elite-level QB. You know, you need your Mahomes guy with his $400 million 10-year deal. There's a reason so he's got... he gets paid? He just signed a deal, $400 million for 10 years. Wow. Kansas. But why is he worth $400 million? Because he can... The coach can say to him, this is my plan. And he can walk on that field and deliver that plan. Yeah. Now, and so he can work with his coach. What you know, if you speak to every coach that's coached him since the age of six, you'd say you can tell Patrick something. And you since the age of six, you, that's the point. He's used to being yeah, coached as well. You can tell him something, you can tell him what you need, and you can talk to him, and he will give you what you want on the field. And that is the difference. He's coachable, but he's the individual, he's the general of that team. But that team then follow the playbook to the letter, and then he delivers the plays. So can you do that with a sales team? Yeah. We talked about that PTC environment late 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was all about the playbook. They they that was it wasn't about but then what happened was the people that followed that playbook became elite by following that playbook. Well, there's quite a few companies like that. You know, I think QAS was the same. I suspect yeah. Access at Points is the same. You know, I, I, I would imagine IdeaGen, who he references, is very similar. They became they elite the most because they followed companies. Yeah, yeah they no, became no. elite because they became elite performers because they had two, three years of following that playbook. And that playbook was a damn good playbook. And therefore, they had skills that were probably far higher than others. Do you, so think, it co- makes the, do you think it makes the companies prejudice? What do you mean? So if I'm going to hire people to follow a playbook, I mean, I can't remember the exact brief from PTC. I mean, it's going back 20 years. I can. But I don't think PTC would have hired a 55-year-old person without a degree. They definitely would not have done. So does that make them ageist and classist? Yes. So therefore, do we think that when you've got a playbook 
that you've got to hire people to follow, there's a correlation that makes them ageist and classist. Well, it's a 55-year-old fat salesman going to follow a playbook, having not done so his whole life? No. He's or do not- we just make that assumption? Because maybe he might. It depends how badly he wants it. I'll tell you what I would do. Depends how badly you want it, doesn't it? If I'm 55 to- and you're thinking, right, I've got 10 years to go. Hold on a minute. This company, every person earns £150,000 a year, year in, year out, year in, year out, following the playbook. Where do I sign? Yeah, I'll yeah. Follow, I mean, I'll follow, if, if, I'll yeah, follow exactly. your playbook for 150 grand a year. But yeah. equally, if I think I join a company, I've been there three years, and in comes a new leader and says, right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to introduce a playbook. This is the manual. This is the process we're all going to follow. That manager is going to be minus four salespeople next by the end of the month. Correct. What did you make of the team coaching model? It's page 120. I thought it was all right. I quite liked it, actually. Yeah. I liked the model, actually. I, I felt that the models that they've come up with... Good. Yeah, really good. I'd follow them. Yeah, really. Um, I liked it. There are several where if you thought, right, I'm going to do some coaching. I need a model to start off my session, they're all very usable as well. They are, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you look at each one and you think, you know, they've got a dynamic coaching model. You know, really quite good, I thought. They've got a team coaching model. You know, really quite good, I thought. Yeah. Completely agree. Spot on. Yeah. Um, and then pre- chapter six, preparing to coach. Allocate, so what... allocate two hours of preparation for one hour of coaching delivery. What do you think to that? <laughs> I can't see many sales guys doing that. Well, so hold on. I've got a client at the moment. He's got 15 people in his team. Now, to be fair to him, he has recognised the need for probably a team leader at some point in the next few months. And one of the people I've just uh, placed there, he hired with the hope that she'll rise to the top and end up probably leading a, a subset of that team because she's got a lot of management experience in her career. But let's just do this. So if he does a coaching session a month, with that team, he's got to do, he's got to find 45 hours a month. Yeah, no, it's just, that's just a week though. It's a third, of, it's a quarter of his time. 45 hours a month. It's a quarter of his month. Then you've got to take into account it's observation. So he's probably got to drive with the candidate. It's with, just not with the doable. salesperson. Yeah, I agree. It's not but, doable. It's not doable with a team of five. Well, you see, this is what I put. So page six, uh, sorry, chapter six, page 131. He uses. He said. He, he talks about observation a lot. Now, observation in sport is really, really easy. Yes, because you've got six different camera angles. Yes, and, and really technology easy. pricey. They've, you know, some well, of the technology that the coaches have and the sports scientists have. They have to, some of the kit they have to monitor what the athletes are doing. Is unbelievable now, Mike. Yeah, I know. They've got analytics software over the top of it. Every Literally every heartbeat, every drop of sweat, every yard run. They can pull the data out. Dead yeah. easy. I mean, you compare that to observing a salesperson. It's not a, it's, you know, it's not a comparison. It's not, but I tell you what, I would say on the times where we've run those kind of teams, Mike, the best tool we ever used was I would use call recording software and then I would get the salesperson to record their calls. Then I would say, right, go and sit in a room and listen to your calls, prepare me an hour and come back to me with an hour's tape of 
where you think you've done well and where you think you need some help. Okay. So I'm a 59-year-old sales guy who I've said a million and one times, he's, the, you know, he's very open-minded, he's learning new tactics, you know, he's really on the ball with it all. Yeah. He's on nearly 100 base, can't remember exactly. 96k base. Something massive. Yeah, a big 96k base. 96k base, 6k car. Let's say he's called Bill. Let's get, it's called Bill. He goes to Oracle, sits in your healthcare team. Yeah. You pitch up and go, right, Bill, <laughs> I'd like you to start recording your calls, please, and listen to them. Yeah, I want you to record your phone calls, and then we're going to sit down next week and listen to them together. Right. Where's my CV? He'll be working at SAP the week after. Yeah. That's just not, that's not going to happen in our market. No, they think. would deem that, they would deem that extremely intrusive. No, no I actually think. A mature think, salesperson would deem that. No, I actually think it's a good thing to do, but I just don't think they're going to do it. Let's do some research today on LinkedIn. They're not going to, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. They are not going to want to do that, are they? Absolutely never in a million years. Can I record your calls and listen to them, boss? Says boss. Uh, no. I want you to record your calls, and then I want you to make me a one-hour tape, bring them to a session, and I want you to tell me, I want you to do the first 15 minutes of calls that you think went great and tell me what you did right, and then I want you to spend another 20 minutes on calls that you didn't like where, and I want you to tell me what you didn't like about them and what you're going to change. And then I want you to spend another 20 minutes on calls where you just don't understand why it didn't go well, where you really want to ask some questions. Because let's get it right. You could do it at the minute. You know, if you, I mean, that's a good coaching session, isn't it? Brilliant. We're meeting a lot of prospects online all the time. I'm actually meeting one face to face next week as it happens. They don't even know you've hit the recording button. Don't, not even that. If you said to a prospect, hi, Mr. Prospect, I'm doing a bit of coaching with my boss. Would you mind if I recorded the call? Yeah, we're going to go over what I've said and make sure that I'm really getting my... I'll tell you now, I'm my really pro- caring for my clients properly. My prospects will be fine with it. They yep. go, yeah, no, no problem, Mike. Absolutely fine. And I think a lot of our clients' prospects will be fine. And then leave the responsibility of editing it and compiling the coaching session with the salesman. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. I'd want to see it. I would. But- no, I'd leave it with the salesman because I'd say I want 15 minutes where you know you've done great because that, that, that's them owning the coaching. Yeah, but I mean, I, I do agree with you. It's a great idea. And, but you know, no one's going to do it. Yeah, no I reckon it's hard to get, I reckon it's hard to get 24-year-olds, well, I know it's hard to get 24-year-olds to do it. 25-year-olds to do it. Johnny, it would be hard to get my daughter who's 11 to do it. People are so self-conscious about the mistakes that they make that they don't want to hang out their dirty laundry. You know, why when, you know, you did the call recording thing with all these, you know, people, you know, Jono or whoever, you went, oh, Jono, did you record that call? Jono went, ah, I didn't record that one, oh, sorry. Interesting. Actually, he was the one that always did. Yes, I know. He's a bad example. But, but, but why? Get... But why, Mike? But why was he the one that always did? I'll tell you did? why, because he spent his life being coached. Musician. He was, an elite, he was an elite level musician who'd spent his whole life having relationships with coach teachers. Yeah, yeah. Coaching him to become better at, at, at something that was to be done at an elite level. He was an elite level musician. Well, he's an elite guy, isn't he? Yeah, let's get it right. What's he doing right now? He's lying in the sun, earning money playing his saxophone. Well, he's in Leeds, actually. I'm connected to him on Facebook. Oh, he's doing it virtually. Oh. Is he not? No, he's out in the sun. He's out in Ibiza. Last, last one I saw, he was playing his saxophone off his balcony in Leeds. Is he actually in? Yeah, he's out in Ibiza yeah? now, yeah. Fair enough. So, it, but that was interesting because he was used to being coached from, from the age of three. Now, 136, he talks about how people, you know, like to be coached and that we should look at it from an NLP angle. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. 
Do you reckon? Do you reckon a paragraph does that justice? No. Um, I think we've all got to think about. I think uh, the the important bit here is if you're a sales leader, you've got to have a little word with yourself about what kind of sales leader you are, haven't you? How many sales leaders really look at? Am I a good leader? Am I getting better as a leader? Wow, that's a very, very, very different topic to this book. Am I a good coach? No, am I a good coach? That's what this book's about. Who was I was talking to about football the other day? Ah, oh, the geezer that stuffed us in the summer bowl on Friday night. And um, we were talking about Jose Mourinho. Right. He said he just always looks sour and fed up now. He said, it, he, said he's, he's, he said he's yesterday's news, Mourinho. Never happy. He's never happy about anything. He said he's just lost his mojo, the guy. He's lost it, hasn't he? Who is he? Who are you? Who are you, Mourinho? You know, yeah, there are the, 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 whereas you see some of the, you look at Jurgen Klopp. I bet Jurgen Klopp sat at home or sat on a beach somewhere right now. I bet if you said, what are you reading, Jurgen? He'd say, ah, I'm reading a book about becoming a better coach. <laughs> Good German accent. Yeah, that, I bet that's what Jurgen Klopp is doing right now. So this this chapter, let's just get back to it, is about preparing to coach and the things that you need to uh, to do to be a good coach. Yeah. That's what he's talking about. about and about preparation. And it was all right. And it's about the, the, considering your audience and stuff like that. Talk about KPIs a little bit. And about using Cape, yeah, it's, it's part of that. Oh, chapter here we are. Six. Yeah, yeah, page one hundred thirty-nine. Yeah, I did put a note under it actually. I think KPIs are another moot point. They're a brilliant thing to measure, but I don't think salespeople like having them measured. Well, it's another one, isn't it? Uh, why, why are you looking for a job? Well, uh, my boss measures KPIs on how many calls I've done, how many meetings I've done, how many of those convert into second meetings and bids. And but the I most successful, it. the most successful companies measure that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they no. measure that. They're bothered they, about they it. Me, they, they care. How many meetings are we doing? Actually, What's our conversion bit... ratio of first meetings to bids? What's our conversion ratio of bids to sales? What's our average deal value? Do you know, I, all, I always worry when I take a spec off people and they say, well, I say, what's your average deal value? And they don't know. Well, it's just interesting. I was about to say that. I remember taking a brief off a guy called Richard Sampson years ago who worked for Excel for apps that are now Insight Software. And a te- little test for me when I'm taking a brief is I always say, right, can you tell me a little bit about your conversion rates? Because I always think to myself, I wonder if you know. And, you know, very often they don't know. Richard Sampson went, hang on, I'll just get them for you. And he went, call to DM to first, da, 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 da. and he just went, bang. He went, that's, that's why the- it's a successful company, though. Because they that's know. That's why he's now the European MD of that company. Yeah, because they know. He knows. He knows. And therefore he, knows he can look what at works. He- Therefore he can look at a salesperson and go, hold on a minute, this guy is X percent behind the leading sales guy in the business on calls to uh, appointments. Maybe somebody needs to give him some help on his calls to appointment conversion ratio. Correct, yeah. So the Correct. guy's less likely to get fired because he's gonna. somebody's actually going to say, right, you don't appear to be converting calls to appointments. What's well, insight like staff retention is excellent. What People help do you need? stay a long time. What help do you need? Because they, they can measure it. Maybe that now should I, be in your social actually, experiment, though. Can I record your calls and would you keep KPIs for me if I was your boss? Yeah. Now, actually, a lot of those stats, uh, I'm reading a, a really interesting book right now called Average Shot Counts, which is about um, what they call the strokes gained concept in golf, which 
is based on a very powerful mathematical formula and the stat and the data is based on something like 12 years of every single stroke played by PGA Tour golfers plus a load of data taken out of golfers um club golfers off these golf tracking apps that people have yeah and what's fascinating is actually the the traditional way of measuring certain key performance indicators in golf are completely outmoded because they don't account for other elements and the challenge with KPIs is they often don't account for other elements So a good example is when we ran a team that was very KPI driven Mike some guys got better KPIs than others. Yeah. Now actually why were they getting better KPIs than others? Well, you've got one guy his territory is the care sector. Well, there's only 200 companies in it. So how many new business calls can he make that week? And it's yes. great having KPIs, but sometimes there aren't there are more factors driving the KPIs. I'll tell you how interested I'm in on KPIs because you can see that I've been typing something. So here are my KPIs that started on the 22nd of April. This is calls to people I have never spoken to. So proper new business calls. This is decision makers where it's hello my name is. Yeah. We've never spoken before. It goes 46 this is for the week. 46 13 14 3 35 13 89 35 88 27 54 14 45 16 40 12 29 7 that's just halfway through june i i i, I keep them religiously, religiously still i'm a 42 year old man and actually you know as a sly advertisement johnny are we struggling for candidates or clients candidates Now there's got to be a correlation between making lots of calls and having some Let's get it right. People are saying this is the toughest economic environment since Pro- probably is. humanity probably is. began. You and I are struggling for candidates. I really really need some good candidates. Yeah. You're terrible. I, 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 I use the word good. That's a separate conversation for a, for a different podcast tomorrow. But my point is is there must be a correlation between self-monitoring yourself on KPIs and getting some success. Has to be. I, Absolutely. Can't not be. Absolutely. Um self Yeah, so you can debunk KPIs, but the reality is if you're measuring it you can manage it. Very much so. Very much so. Even and, if and it, uh, even if that means that you have to take into some of the extraneous factors behind the KPIs. Yes. And that's but the I think the, the biggest challenge Mike is I think if you got a sample of 50 salespeople in our industry tomorrow and said right, here's what's going to happen. Your boss is going to walk in on Monday morning and he's going to give you an Excel spreadsheet and you're going to send it to him every Friday night with how many phone calls you've made for new business appointments, mm. how many decision makers you've spoken to, how many new business appointments you've booked, what the conversion ratios of new business appointments to actual sales conversations, what the conversion ratio of sales conversations is to proposals or bids, and what the conversion ratio is of bids to sales and what the average deal value is. And you're going to hand that in every Friday night. I think most would leave their jobs. I agree with you. And let's just take that a step further. So if I was a sales candidate, Johnny, and you're the you're the interviewing client and I'm the sales candidate, right? So this is yeah. an interview. <clears throat> and you say, you know, we sort of have a cordial conversation. I say, well, here's the thing, Jonathan, in my last job I got fired. And you say, why is that? And I say, well, I missed my target. Do you want me to tell you why? You're going to go, yeah, I really do. And I'm going to say, well, here's my table of calls to decision makers, to appointments, to second appointments, to, to tenders, to close business. What I found is, albeit a bit too late, is that my conversion ratio from first meeting to second meeting was very low. 
Now, I have done a lot of analysis as to why it's first to second, and this is why I've lost. No, I have this lost. I have been fired. Time. Would you hire me? Yes. Like, I could have done zero percent target, and you'd go, right, great. This guy bloody thinks about it. At least he cares. Yeah, but how many candidates do that that miss target and got fired? I always know. Zero. I always know the the top ones. Why are you looking for a job? I miss my target. Why do? All oh, right, go on. What do you mean? Oh, my target was nine hundred sixty-two thousand. I had five hundred eleven thousand one hundred eleven pounds and thirty-two p. Exactly. You think right? I know immediately guy. they're a top guy because they. Care. I know immediately that is a top salesman. Yeah. Completely. You were telling me we were talking about a candidate the other week who was moaning about a target he missed in twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah, Martin. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's he's still a t- annoys. It's, yeah. it, it's still annoys him. Oh, and then there was 2015, I missed my target that year. Oh, and you can see it, the, the pain of it. Yeah. It's because it was unfathomable to him. And it, But if you'd said to him, what precisely did you do? He knows. To the yeah. penny. How many but he'd be all right with a boss that wanted KPIs. He just wants to win. He just wants to earn his money. He doesn't say, he's just like, mate, give me money. He'd say, why do you want to know that? And the boss goes, well, I want to figure out whether pre-sales are good enough from first to second, because if it drops out from first to second, it may be a pre-sales issue. Right, great, okay. Because the good ones just say, look, mate, give me glory and give me money. I want to win and I want to earn loads of cash. But going back to the book, they are people that can be coached. They're the coachable ones. So the coachable ones, or the ones that coach themselves, the top guys, got to be a correlation there. Absolutely. So I think that's it. What's interesting about this book is it sparked loads of interesting conversation. It's painful to read, but it does spark a conversation. And it's annoyed us a bit, but it has sparked a lot of very interesting conversation. So next week we'll finish it off. And then the week after we've got the guys on the show. You're going to be in awe of him, aren't you? No. He's annoyed me because I know he he hired a judo coach. You can't bring that up on the show. Well, what's interesting is in Australia, they've actually changed the rules to stop the coaches doing that. Right. Because they got sick of the coaches hiring wrestling and judo coaches to slow the play down. So what they've basically said is you slow the play down now, it's a penalty and an immediate restart of the tackle count. So they can't do it anymore. But as a fan, it's horrible to watch, but it wins games. So you can't knock him, he's clever. But he's, you know, yeah, well, I don't have any comments, John, so I don't know anything about rugby. On that note, I'm going to go. We'll see you next week. See you. Bye-bye.